0: Well, it's our last um, sermon today, and uh, it's been seven weeks talking about Discover Church. Can you believe it? It was seven weeks ago that we launched a new name, brand new season for the church. Uh, it was an exciting time, so I've uh, gone through these, this seventh sermon for today, and look at it all matching beautifully. The titles start with an A, the power lines start with a we, but that's not what's important. What's important is that uh, hopefully God is getting to your heart, helping you understand where we're going as a church, and... Uh, As we've mentioned time and time again, a lot of the things that we've spoken about, uh, or basically everything we've spoken about, is not so much of some vision that uh, I want to sell you so that you follow and subscribe and tithe and come to church. It's not about that. Uh, This is about being a healthy church. That's what's important. And these things we've spoken about are things that every healthy local church should be concentrating on. They're important core tenets of the faith and core parts of what it means uh, to be a Christian uh, or to be uh, a church, so it's been a bit of a tough week for me, I haven't slept very much this week, uh, the World Cup has been on, so <laughs> how's was the Socceroos last night? I can't believe we won a game, my goodness, wow, what a great win, I've been up late watching games, I've been getting up early watching games, so uh, it's going to be, a, sorry if I'm a little bit foggy over the next couple of weeks, the world cup's on, but uh, i 'm sorry if you don 't care about soccer or sport because <laughs> bad luck for you you 're in the wrong church or the senior minister who loves those things so um, i 'm going to talk a little bit more today about uh, what it means to be a Christian that actually goes out beyond a Sunday morning or out beyond your Christian friends and uh, talks to the community so if you 're with us and you 're not a Christian or you 're weighing up your faith or you 're having a crisis of faith then uh, I encourage you to uh, listen. Uh, We're not going to talk this morning about you being some kind of project that we're trying to get into the Christian team, Uh, but we're just going to talk about an important part of our faith, at the centre of our faith, it is a faith that we're encouraged to share with others. Uh, But how you do that uh, is very nuanced and uh, is not very straightforward. So, uh, Adoniram Judson was a missionary, here's a great picture of him, a missionary uh, into Burma, the father of Christianity uh, in Burma, or what we call today is Myanmar. And uh, I've been doing a course recently, um, like a pastor's training course, and there's a young guy that's a pastor in a church up in uh, Mulgrave, it's an ethnic Chinese church, and he named his son Adoniram. That's what he named his son, after this guy, Adoniram Judson, and I hadn't really heard of Judson, but I'm going to call him Judson from now on, okay? I hadn't really heard of him, but uh, he went into Burma as a 25-year-old young man in 1813, and he spent 40 years bringing the gospel, so four decades bringing the good news about Jesus to the Burmese people. Judson said that Asia, with its idolatrous myriads, was one of the most important fields in the world for missionary effort. So that was his motive for going into Burma. He translated the Bible into Burmese and at the same time he had to write the Burmese grammar or come up with a grammar for the Burmese language because there was none. And that's still the same grammar that is used in Burma today. His motive wasn't to be an English professor, It was to translate the Bible, but at the same time, he gave them grammar for their language. Uh, He spent 18 months starved and tortured in prison during his 40 40 years there, uh, because there was a war between the English and the Burmese. Uh, Even though he was American, he was white, so they threw him in prison and tortured him for a couple of years. had a really horrible time. Two wives died on the mission field, and uh, so by the time of his death, Judson actually was married to a third wife. And in the first 12 years of his work in Burma, 18 people became Christians. Just a bit over one a year for the first 12 years of bringing the gospel. He actually died with little fruit to his work. In his lifetime, he translated the Bible, there's about 18 converts in his first 12 years, but he died with largely, largely little fruit to his work. Although he had one early convert, This convert was actually a slave initially that Judson had set free. Uh, He was illiterate. He didn't even speak the Burmese language, he was kind of from the jungle. And uh, it was rumoured that this man had killed up to 30 people. That's why he was a slave, because he was a murderer, he was a lowlife, he was a criminal. And he was one of the first converts that Judson brought through to following Jesus. And this man was sent down to a people called the Karen people, that mainly lived in the jungle of Burma and interestingly, these jungle people had a tradition of the elders, their kind of religious spirituality that they followed out in the jungle was a, called the tradition of their elders and interestingly, they had this belief, this jungle people, they of an unchangeable, eternal, all-powerful God, creator of heaven and earth and he began to share the gospel with them and he began to find out more of their story and their tradition of the elders. They actually believed that all of humanity was tempted by a devil, that all of humanity had fallen and that one day some kind of saviour, messiah figure would appear and they also had an ancient prophecy as part of their jungle spirituality that said a white foreigner would bring a sacred parchment roll. A white foreigner would bring a sacred parchment roll and when this one convert of Judson, this murderous criminal who'd been set free from slavery, came to the jungle, he brought the good news about Jesus, he brought a Bible, being the parchment, and he brought the story of Jesus, a Messiah, representing the all-powerful God. And now the Karen people are actually the largest population of Christians in Burma, and 6.2% of the population are now Christians in Burma, and they're the third largest Baptist Christian Baptist country in the world. These stories of these old missionaries, these 19th century Protestant missionaries, you think of William Carey going into India, you think of Hudson Taylor uh, going into China, these missionaries that would go in and they would give their life, their entire life. You remember the stories uh, where they would pack their own own coffins with their possessions and their clothes and their belongings that they would ship off to a distant land, to a people who knew nothing about Jesus, to bring the gospel. This is the mentality of the missionaries of old. And it's very similar to what we find, the context that we find ourselves in today. To be an Aussie follower of Jesus, as we touched on last week, is like being a missionary in a foreign land. Aussie followers of Jesus are missionaries in a secular culture, Do you remember in the Old Testament, if you're familiar with the Bible, that they would often, uh, the, the Jewish people, when they were carried off to slavery, would talk about being exiles, exiles in a foreign land. And in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah says to the people of Israel, who are now not living in Israel, but they've been carried off in captivity to Babylon, and different parts of the earth, they're all spread all over the earth. And Jeremiah writes, work for the peace And the prosperity of the city where I have sent you into exile. So, God has sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. So, if you believe and understand that being a Christian is being a minority within a secular culture, we're not in a culture anymore in Australia, it was. Christian, it is Christian in its roots, but we don't live in a culture now where Christianity is encouraged, where Christianity uh, is lifted up as a good thing. In a lot of circles, Christianity is actually seen as a threat, seen as a danger to our Aussie uh, way of life. So, this is, you might have seen the uh, report on 60 Minutes last Sunday night Uh, Which was interesting about the church and about Christianity uh, right here in our own city, coming up to our own elections. And I'm sure you all have many opinions on that if you happen to watch it. But uh, interestingly, if you watch the introduction of that 60 Minutes story, it's pitched as a battle. It's pitched as a battle between Christians who are trying to push a fundamentalist way of life upon Aussies who are just trying to be good people and just trying to live their lives and just trying to. Do the right thing. And this is the, what it means to live in a secular culture. Now, it doesn't mean that, like we see with Daniel in Babylon and Joseph in Egypt, that Christian men and women can rise and have influence within this culture. But it does mean that Daniel could be second in charge of Babylon one day and be in a lion's den the next day. That's the challenge of being a Christian in our culture. You could be the CEO. Of let's say Essendon Football Club one day and have no job the next day. That's what it's like to live as an exile in a foreign land. That's what it's like to be a missionary in a country. Like Judson, he went into the country with the good news of the gospel, but he spent time in prison. He had wives and children that died. He had little fruit for his work during his lifetime. But the mentality of a Christian is such that we go into all of the world trusting that God has a bigger plan. Trusting that God is at work. Whether we're liked or not, whether we're listened to or not, whether we're understood or not, we trust that God has a plan. It's like being in exile in a foreign land. So how do we do this sharing the gospel then within this context of most Aussies don't really care about the Bible, don't really care about your beliefs if you're a Christian, aren't really looking to understand the Bible, aren't really looking to understand. We might bang on about the true meaning of Christmas, but guess what? Most people couldn't give us stuff about the true meaning of Christmas. I just want to drink wine and eat food and get birthday presents, which is what I want too, but I also do care about the meaning of Christmas. Um, what do you do with this wrestle? What do you do? Because for Christians, a lot of Christians I talk to, there's a great concern about the truth. And that's important because we believe, as Jack said today, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So what about The truth. If we yell about the truth, won't people just want to know the truth? Well, if you've lived for a little while, if you've been out there a little while, if you're a little bit uh, street smart, you might have realized that actually a lot of people don't really care about the truth. Not many people are reading tons of books every night trying to work out what is the truth about life and what is the best way to live, they're not. Most of us are following our feelings, following pleasure, following what would be nice, trying to keep up appearances, trying to live according to the opinions of our friends and family. Not a lot of people are studying the truth every evening and trying to work that out. So how do we share the gospel in an environment? How do we stick to what we believe is the truth about Jesus in an environment and a secular culture that isn't interested in Jesus? And how do we do that as people, as I shared last week, they live in an area of about half a million From Frankston Beach out to Clyde, the new developments out there, there's about 500,000 people. Most of them couldn't care two hoots about the gospel, but then we as Christians are commanded, not just encouraged, but commanded by Christ to go into all the world and share this good news. There's quite a tension there between what people want and what we want to talk about. How do we approach? Last week, I shared with you three different... Approaches, and I won't go over them quickly again because some of you weren't here and it was some, a little bit difficult to take in. But I've changed it this week to a different way to think about it. The first way that we can think about going into the 500,000 people that live in our community and sharing the gospel, the first approach I shared last week was a, with a moralism. We can go on with a strong moralism. And I've called this inward and inward-facing approach so this is where we tend to look more inwards to those people who believe the same as us and look the same as us and talk about the same things as us it's a very inward mentality and then when we go into the culture we still have an inward focus so it becomes very much a combative moralism moralism meaning what's right what's wrong what people should do what people shouldn't do and it's very much of a step back and tell others, this is what we should believe, you should align to that, okay? That is an approach. And some, some of you may tend to drift towards that a little bit. You tend to drift that way a little bit if maybe your personality is a bit more introverted. You might drift that way a little bit more if you're a bit more politically uh, conservative kind of inclined. You are conserved more, you, 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 you incline more to the right side of politics. You might naturally drift that way a bit. And often you'll look at the city or look at the community and despise it. Oh, there's people out there. Young kids today. I just turned 40 a couple of weeks ago, so I can say that now. (laughs) There's young people today out there. Oh, my goodness. When I was a child, when I was a kid, we used to play in trees and listen to our parents and all those kinds of things, okay? And it's a bit bit of an inward-focused kind of approach. The second approach... It's more of an upward-focused approach. We look at the city, it's more of a progressive embrace, I said last week. And we get fascinated by the city. This is where we go too far, maybe the other way. And we can become a little bit fascinated by the city. We indulge in the community. We love all the same things that everyone else loves. We forget that, actually, as Christians, we're called to be citizens of another place. The Bible says, it's like you're a stranger here on this earth. But with this embrace, we we embrace everything. And and, and this can be challenging for some people because people tend to drift this way if they're more agreeable, maybe more relational. They more tend to avoid conflict. Yeah, you do what you do. And it's okay. You've had a difficult life. And sometimes the truth can be compromised in this way. And it's more relational. It can be more community focused. There's a lot of truth in there. But it can drift a little bit too far the other way. And the city can become more like Pleasure Island, like, yeah, I'm out there doing all the things that everyone else is doing. There's no difference to my faith or my Christianity, and this can be a problem as well. The third approach, which I want to suggest to you, is more of an outward-facing approach. So we don't face inward, we don't face upward, with like, oh, everything's fantastic. But we face outward, with a humble demeanor, like Christ, coming to the world to serve it, not to tell it off or condemn it, coming to the world not to embrace it and indulge it, but coming to share the good news about Jesus. We engage, we don't run away, but we engage without indulging. We're part of the world, or we're part of the local footy club, and the local soccer club, and the local dance school, and the local school, but but we're not the same and we recognize we're almost like a stranger, an exile, a missionary in a foreign land. If you get that mentality right, which I believe is the biblical mentality of approaching life in the world, it brings a lot of peace and brings a lot of joy and takes a lot of stress off because you're not... Forced to be like militant and have all the answers and, and be like an apologist and be able to answer every question and explain everything about the faith and have deep theology, theological understanding. It's like, oh, thank goodness. You just be a person. But then you also don't have to be overly agreeable and just fit in with everyone and, 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 and push your faith away because it's a bit weird and people don't understand it. So it's better I just don't talk about it. And you also don't have to have that stress of feeling a bit maybe hypocritical or a bit like you don't talk about the thing that's really important to you, so it takes that stress off. It allows you to engage, but also to have a difference. Let's have a quick look at the Bible and what the Bible says about sharing the gospel. Because Jesus announces in Luke 4, 17, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, he says. He says, I've been anointed to bring the good news to the poor, everyone say good news. Good news, gospel to the poor. And Jesus announces that this is the purpose for his life and his ministry. So, up until this point, he's been a nobody. He's lived from, he was born, and then up to 30 years of age, he hasn't really done anything. And all of a sudden, he says, at 30 years of age, as he begins his earthly ministry, he says, I'm here to tell people the good news. And then he goes on to proclaim, uh, it's for me to proclaim, that the captives will be released, the blind will be set free, and the, and the oppressed will be liberated. So Jesus lives that for three and a half years. He dies on the cross and he rises again. And then after his resurrection, before he ascends back to heaven, he transfers this same mission to his followers. So he says in two places we hear this. First of all, in Mark sixteen eighteen, he says, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. So his mission becomes now the mission of those that want to follow Jesus. So if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, you can't really get out of this one. This is an important part that we need to wrestle through. How do we share the good news? But the difference and the point, which I'm sure you're starting to get this morning, the difference with sharing the good news is you're not a Jewish fisherman living in first century Palestine. I don't think there's any fishermen here. No, Some of you look like fishermen, but I don't think there's any fishermen here. I hope none of you smell like fishermen. That's the main thing. All right? Well, that's a discipleship opportunity that we can talk about, okay? That's the challenge. Good news, yes. Context, very, very different. So he transfers this to them, Matthew 16, 18, Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus kind of outlines his modus operandi as well. He says in Matthew 20, verse 25, he says... The rulers in this world, so the people live out there in the community, in the city, they lord it over their people and and their officials flaunt their authority. That's how people tend to do influence, tend to do power, tend to do lobbying, tend to try and make a difference, try and get into power and then lord it over or flaunt your authority. Jesus turns to his disciples and says what? Not so with you. You're going to be different. Whoever wants to be a leader must be the servant. And whoever wants to be great and have an influence and have an impact in the city and have an impact in their club or their school or their workplace must be like a slave. So submitting yourself, taking the lowest seat, being the servant, giving up rights, preferences, ambitions. Why? Why would Jesus tell us that this is the modus operandi for reaching 500,000 people? Why? Because being a humble servant prioritizes the gospel. It allows the gospel to advance while putting the self out of the picture. Because if it's gospel and you, then there's a competition. There's too much of you in your sharing of the gospel. There's your hurts, your pains, your preferences, your wants, your political persuasion. So Jesus says, let's take you out of there so the gospel can advance and the good news can come to people without filtering through all of your stuff. You just be the servant, the slave. Like Judson, you go into Burma for 40 years and just give your life. Not because you're going to get anything out of it, but because God is doing something and you just give your life to that. Then we come into the, so Jesus shares this in the Gospels, there's the book of Acts in there, so about 30 years of the early church and history and there's lots of people come to faith and they're working out how to take the Gospel around. They go all over modern day, what's modern day? Turkey, Ephesus and Antioch and people are coming to the faith. And then later on in the New Testament, kind of the end of the New Testament, we get these letters, mainly from the Apostle Paul, and how the gospel is presented starts to change. It starts to become a little bit more nuanced, because they're starting to work out how to share this good news within the culture that they live. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.19, even though I'm a free man with no master, I have become a slave, why? To bring many to Christ. This is a great question for us as people who follow Jesus, what is your neighbour worth? What is your friend who doesn't know Jesus worth? What is the next generation in our own church worth, your children, your grandchildren worth? Because for Paul, it was worth everything. Even though I'm free and can do whatever I want, he says, I have chosen to become a slave, a servant, secondary. Why? Because people don't know Jesus are worth a lot. And my kids and my grandchildren and other kids, and even in this church, are worth a lot. So I'm going to put aside my preferences, I'm going to put aside what I'm doing, I'm going to put aside some of my lifestyle, even though I'm free to do whatever I want, make the money I want, go on the holidays I want, have the experience I want, I'm going to prioritise Sharing the gospel with somebody. He goes on to say, When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew. I fit in with them. I was kind of like them. When I was with the Gentiles, so Gentile is a non Jew, so anyone who's not Jewish is a Gentile, who did not follow, follow the Jewish law. When I was hanging out with them, I too lived apart from the law so that I could bring them to Christ. So there was an element of Paul that was flexible. He wasn't being fake, he wasn't being a chameleon. He's not advocating fake it till you make it or be hypocritical is okay. He's just saying, I was flexible. I let my clothes be flexible. I let the words I used be flexible, it's cool. I don't have to talk the way that I always talk. I let my values be flexible, it's cool. When I'm in certain situations, I'm not Bible bashing and banging on about scriptures, but in other situations, I love to sit with those people and study the word deeply, but it's cool. Because of the freedom of the Holy Ghost, I can be the deep theologian studying the Bible with the people who want to do that, and then I can be the the guy down at the soccer club having a beer with the guys who want to do that and have a chat about life. I can be flexible because I'm free in Christ. There's not me intertwined with the gospel. There's the gospel, and then there's me, the servant, the slave, who just wants to push that forward. Then in Galatians 2, 7, there's another great story that I think helps us a lot. I'm not going to dig too deep into anything today. I just want to survey a few scriptures. In Galatians 2 7, Paul has come down to Jerusalem after 14 years of preaching the gospel. He's worked out some things. And he comes down to Jerusalem to tell the guys in Jerusalem, this is the big boys, okay? Peter's there, James, who was the brother of Jesus running the church in Jerusalem, they're all there. He comes down to the big boys, he's been off in the countryside and here, there, and everywhere, and says, This is what I've been preaching. And essentially they say to him that's good that is the gospel it's not a false gospel it's not another gospel that is the gospel and what they realize in verse 7 it says they saw that God had given me so Paul the responsibility of preaching the gospel is only one gospel to the Gentiles so to the non-Jews mainly the Greeks just as Peter is a pretty big name in the early church had been given a different responsibility to preach to the Jews There's only one gospel. So when we talk about sharing the gospel, we're never talking about compromising that gospel, making the gospel say something that it doesn't say, adding our two bobs to the gospel, there's only one gospel and to be a Christian is to believe that gospel and to share that gospel. It's only one gospel though, but there's many different audiences that will hear the gospel and they're gonna hear it differently They're going to understand it differently. They're going to know it differently. So Peter is kind of like the guy sharing the gospel with the Jews, which is kind of like the insiders. The Jews are the ones who do believe in God. They have the Old Testament already. They're kind of halfway there. It's really just about who is the Messiah. Was Jesus the Messiah or not? So his presentation of the gospel, and if you've read Matthew's gospel, so his story about Jesus, the one that goes for 28 chapters, it's the first book of the New Testament, it's very heavy on quotes from the Old Testament. Why? Because he's trying to make Jesus plain to the Jews. Paul, on the other hand, has a completely different audience that he's sharing with. So he presents the gospel in a really different way. You might remember when he talks in Acts 17 to the Greeks and they take him down to Arapagus, which is where all the Greek philosophers would sit around all day just talking about the latest cutting-edge ideas. Insert, sit on the internet all night watching YouTube videos now. But back then, they would actually get out of their houses and go and sit around all day, still the sign of the same thing, spend 10 hours on YouTube, but it was just all in person. And they would talk about all the latest ideas and listen to each other. And they bring Paul down there. Paul doesn't pull out his Bible. Paul doesn't talk about the Old Testament. Paul doesn't even start with Jesus on the cross. He starts talking about their idols. He talks about their poet, insert, you know, Jay-Z, Arianda Grande, whatever, like their local pop star. And from there, he links it back to Christ because he knows his audience. He's not there to say, hey, I'm a Jewish guy and I've got all these Jewish ideas for you. He's there to say, hey, who are you? What are you thinking about? What music are you listening to? What's your favorite poet? It doesn't make sense today, but like it's like, what's your favorite pop star? What's, what are you playing right now on your iTunes playlist? Well, let me show you how everything links back to God. And that God is actually Jesus who was crucified. And then they throw him out because they don't like the crucifixion thing. Anyway, that's beside the point, but it's the approach and it's understanding the audience. I wanna encourage you today to think through this this week and pray through this this week. What is the context that you live in? What's your little world that you live in? Who are your friends? Who lives in your street? What places do you go to? Because there's only one gospel, but there's many different audiences and contexts and environments and peoples and opinions and persuasions. This is all very nuanced, very detailed, very complex, but the gospel is simple and clear. So we just have that next slide the gospel is unchanging, it's the good news about Jesus Christ, it's you're saved by grace, not by works, it says that in Ephesians 2.8, it's an unchanging truth. People get concerned because sometimes we try to, what side are you guys on, this side, sometimes we try to put the gospel in a context and many times I'll deliver my sermon thinking about a context and people get concerned that, oh you're compromising the truth. We're just all seeker friendly now, which means we're just all about people who don't know Jesus. We're just trying to water it all down. No, 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 no. We're actually doing what the New Testament tells us to do. We're actually loving our neighbor by thinking how they think, dressing how they dress. Remember the scripture I just read to you about Paul, all things to all men. Because we're thinking, the Jews, what do they think? What do they dress like? How do they. What are their values? What are their priorities? The Greeks, what do they think about? What are they into right now? What are they talking about? What are their concerns? What are their families going through? What are their cultural issues right now? She's thinking about the context. One gospel, many different presentations of the gospel. And that's the context. We present the gospel to a certain people in a certain time, in a certain place. So we're not Adeniram Judson in Burma in 1815. But we're also not Jewish fishermen in first century Palestine kicking around Jerusalem. We live in a post-Christian Western culture, hugely influenced by Europe and America because we're a tiny little country. And we live in Casey, we live in Frankston. We live around here. So there's concerns that Western people have, there's concerns that Australian people have and then there's concerns that people who live around here have. There'll be similarities there that flow all the way through but there's also very unique issues and challenges and stresses and unique questions that people are asking who live across the road, who live in Botanic Ridge where I live. And they're not the questions that every Aussie's is asking. They're not questions that every Westerner is asking. And they're not sometimes the questions that every human is asking. They might be really, really specific just to this area here. Now, that straight away makes sense when you think of the demographics I shared a little bit last week, if you were here. This area around here is younger, far younger than the average Victorian in age. They tend to be younger families. They tend to be more married there's, there's a lot of uh, migrations. You've got white Australian and British and Anglo, but then you've got a lot of immigration, especially from India and Pakistan, Southeast Asia, a lot of migration. So there's, there's different questions. What question do you think you're asking if you just move to a new country and you're trying to set up a life starting from nothing with no family or friends? You're asking different questions about the world than somebody that's lived here for generations and generations and generations. The opportunities are different. The privileges are different. The scenarios are different. The family values are different. So therefore, the gospel presentation must be different. Not the gospel, because that is unchanging, but the presentation of the gospel must be different. There's kind of three people that live around this area if you like it's kind of three different groups if you like and I've put them in three different pictures today we can start handing out communion in a minute and we want to take communion today around this but I want to share with you three different kind of profiles this side here you've got Josh okay he's a pretty typical dude who lives around where I live he's concerned with tattoos he's concerned with being a tradie he's got a successful tradie business he's made a lot of money he's bought a nice double story house in Botanic Ridge He's just thinking mainly about the boat he wants to buy, he drives around a giant pickup truck because that's what you do when you're 34 years old and you're a tradie. He's thinking about the pool he's going to put in and whether he spends 150 grand on it or 120 grand on it. Money isn't really an issue, he's got tons of money, tons of disposable income, holidays in Europe, holidays in the South Pacific or wherever he wants to go. He's part of this wealthy white young person who's grown up in Australia and really enjoyed the benefits of our wealth increase as a nation in the last 20 years. Christianity to Josh is totally irrelevant. It's just this weird, dumb thing that a few people do that go to church. Like it just, it just makes absolutely no sense to him. He's never given it more than five minutes thought in his life. But the problem is Josh, like all of us, has run into some issues in his early 30s. All of a sudden, the money, the boat, the big pickup truck, the holidays, and everything, they still haven't really answered some questions. And he's deeply unsatisfied with his life. He really doesn't get why he's here, why he was born. And questions that have never plagued him before have started to question him. I mean, he's a tough, pull yourself up by the bootstraps kind of guy. He's built his own building business he's made his own money he's a self-made man he feels pretty good about himself he's put a lot of strength and effort into his life and it's got him a lot of really good stuff but he's finding that he still feels deeply unsatisfied with his life it has no real meaning the other problem is Josh did some bad stuff when he was young and it kind of didn't didn't feature much for about 10 years but it's starting to come back up again he's feeling guilt about his early 20s. He's feeling guilt about some stuff from the past. And he's got no idea how he's gonna deal with it. He started to have suicidal thoughts. He's thinking maybe he just leaves his wife. He's got, he's, you know, he's got offers, he's got opportunities. He could go pick up another girlfriend somewhere else and start again. He's having these kind of extreme thoughts. And at that moment, Josh becomes open to the gospel. How does Josh become open to the gospel? What kind of gospel presentation is he going to listen to? Do you think a political type Christian angle is going to help this guy? Probably not. Do you think, hey, let's sit down and do a Bible study together is going to be something he's going to be interested in? I don't think so. Do you think telling him he's a sinner is going to get him there? I don't know. This is gospel contextualization. How will someone hear the gospel? Do you love your neighbor enough to share the gospel in a way that a Josh might understand it? I think a barbecue, I think a conversation, I think a genuine person willing to build a long-term friendship is gonna help Josh be more open to the gospel. And I think hearing that Jesus can take away your guilt and can deal with your pain and you don't have to do anything. You don't have to be strong. You don't have to be smart, you don't have to be rich, it's a free gift. Maybe that will appeal to him. You don't have to come to church, you don't have to wear different clothes, you don't have to do a whole bunch of Christian stuff. These things are going to help him begin to understand that maybe there's a truth in this. The way we dress, the way we live, the way we attend church, all those things, they can come later. The most important thing is, is someone meeting Jesus Christ, the Son of God. A second little profile today is a 55-year-old Indi- Indian migrant, Sujit. Does anyone know Sujit? He lives out in Clyde, Andrew knows of Sujit. He lives out in Clyde, loves cricket. He's got a grandchild because he's 55. He came to Australia as a student, very typical story and stayed here. He's built a life, built a great life actually, made a lot of money again. Loves Australia, loves the opportunities it's given him like most migrants, has been totally focused on climbing the professional ladder, earning as much as he can and giving the best education he can to his children. It's been a really great ride, but now he's in his 50s and his eldest son, who he loves with all of his heart, has basically rejected the family, run away with a girl, just kind of thrown everything back in his face, doesn't talk to his dad anymore, and everything was perfect until the money didn't have the answers, the house didn't have the answers, not even the family had the answers. Now, how does Sujit, being a Buddhist, or a Hindu, let's call him a Hindu, because if you're Indian, you're more likely to be Hindu. How does Sujit, being a good Hindu boy, have a chance, have a chance, a fighting chance of maybe hearing that Jesus could answer some of his problems, Jesus could be his friend? He's always just thought Christianity is just the white man's thing. It's just a a Western, Aussie, English, British kind of stuck-up religious. That's just they do English, do Christianity, Indian does Hindu. He's never thought of, of, of religion as really a choice. For him, he just grew up and I'm Indian, I'm Hindu. They're white, they're Christian. He doesn't understand that some white Australians don't actually believe in God or the Christian message, he just assumes that if you're white, you're a Christian, and if you're an Indian, you're a Hindu, because for him, it's all cultural, it's all ethnic. There's no choice, that's just what we are. What kind of gospel is he going to be open to? And then thirdly, we have this 15-year-old young girl, her name's Mia, she's in year 10 at school, she spends most of the night on her phone, texting her friends, making TikTok videos. She loves chatting on Discord, which is the latest uh, chat chat uh, instant messenger program that all the kids are using. She finds her parents really distant and a bit stupid. Hopes to be a hairdresser one day. And for her, Christianity it, there's no grid. She's actually never even been in a church. She doesn't get what Jesus is. She's heard it a couple of times in some movies she's watched, some shows she's watched. Always been in a negative light, but she really has no idea what it's about. She works at, she works at McDonald's. Her best friend is, is gay. She has several friends going through transitions. She's played around with different pronouns herself and cu- currently considers herself to be bisexual, but she's just trying to work it out. She's very, very concerned with the environment and climate change. She's actually quite worried about the future because she she believes that her parents' generation have had all the job opportunities and all the economic success, but for her and her generation, it's a very bleak outlook. She doesn't think she'll get the job she wants. She doesn't think she's gonna have much money. And she thinks there's a very high chance that because of environmental issues and climate change that she could live in quite a scary world in the future. Her life has just fallen apart because her friendship group is just broken. Her best friend, she's had a huge falling out with. She doesn't know how to repair friendships. She thought they'd be friends forever. And she's a 15-year-old that feels depressed, feels suicidal, feels like there's not many options. The world's a dangerous place and the future is really bleak. What gospel presentation does Mia need to hear? Do you have a 15-year-old? Do you know a 15-year-old? Do you have a 15-year-old grandchild? It's a very different world. Because of technology, we have to understand that you might have come to the gospel only 10 or 15 years ago. Maybe you're 35 and you made a decision for Jesus at 20. The world is a remarkably different place from 15 years ago. Even the way we present the gospel To the next generation, the Mia's of the world, the 15-year-old needs to be a really different way. If we deny all of her 15-year-old concerns about the world and say they're silly, say you you, you don't understand, say you don't know who God is, you don't understand what's in the Bible, it's going to be fine, we're all going to be okay one day. It's just going to create a huge wall. A young girl like Mia might never, ever look into Jesus or look into Christianity ever again for her whole entire life because of a bad interaction with a Christian as a teenager when she's obviously vulnerable, she's obviously trying to work out a lot of things, she obviously doesn't have a lot of direction from parents or mentors, she's just kind of left to her own devices with her friends and the internet to try and work out the world. I think a gospel that talks about Jesus being your best friend is gonna be appealing to someone like that. Not a gospel that's talking about conforming your behavior, but a gospel that's talking about a real relationship with God. I think she might be open to something like that. If someone could help her understand that God just wants to be your friend and he is a stable friend who will never leave you again, maybe she'd be open to that. I don't know, something for you to think about. Really encourage you this week to think through this, pray through this, The questions this week for discussion are around what does it look like to be a Christian in modern Australia and how is that similar to being a missionary in a foreign land? If you can understand that when you present the gospel, you're presenting it like Judson in Burma in the 19th century, it's going to be a lot easier to understand what you need to say and not to say. Secondly, what is gospel contextualization? How does it influence sharing the gospel in Casey and Frankston? This is such a powerful question. Talk through this with a husband, a wife, a friend. What does it look like to actually share the gospel in our context? See, we read, we read about the gospel in the Bible, but it's a completely different scenario. You know the first thing they teach preachers like me in seminary or theological school? It's actually how to take the gospel and the truth of the Bible out of its first century context. Firstly, to understand it in its context so you know what it's saying, but then to take it out of there and extrapolate that for the current context of the day. That's the great challenge of preaching and pastoring. Because one problem is we read our context of today into the Bible and then we get it wrong. But then the other problem is we read the Bible and how it is and we don't bring it into our modern context of the day and then we can also get it wrong. So understanding the context is very, very important. Understanding the environment the Bible was written in and the environment that we lead in, that we live in is going to give you a great opportunity in your spiritual growth to mature, to understand God better, to understand who you are better, and understand how we live in the world and how we share the gospel in a secular culture. Why don't we just stand this morning and just hold our communion. Thanks, Livy. Imagine if we could all grow in this more and more. Imagine if this, Jesus' blood and His body, representing the good news, could be the thing. That we could be mature in our faith, and this could be the thing that people meet, that people understand, that people encounter.